Our scripture from this morning is taken from Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36, to Acts chapter 16, ending in verse 15. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phygria, And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia who was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, growing up, and arguably even to this day, I have had a deep appreciation for the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, as I'm sure many of you do the same. And if you're familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's works, you know that he's best known for two works, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and a smaller tale that is entitled The Hobbit. Now, I will confess that when I was younger, I found myself more drawn to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I loved the books, I loved the radio dramas, I loved the movies, I found the world-building inspiring, I found the heroic characters wonderful to hear about. And I will confess that as I get older, honestly, 
I identify more and more with the character of Bilbo Baggins, who is the main character of The Hobbit. You see, unlike the characters of The Lord of the Rings, Bilbo Baggins is unashamedly a homebody. He enjoys the quiet of his studying, he loves the company of his friends, and he loves being in bed by 10 o'clock. And I do not blame the guy for one second. Bilbo's life is really good, idyllic, if you really want to give a word to it. That is until, as you might know, Gandalf the wizard shows up and cleverly enlists Bilbo to join a group of needy and themselves heroic dwarves. But being a part of this adventure that we call The Hobbit, this adventure is difficult for Bilbo because it requires him to surrender and give up everything that is comfortable in his life. He has to give up his friends, he has to give up his rights, he even has to give up his plans of being in bed by 10 o'clock. Now, I'm not going to give anything away about The Hobbit, because if you haven't read it, read it, I recommend it to you. But the profound lesson of the life of Bilbo Baggins is that if we cling to the good things in our lives, we can actually hinder ourselves from fully participating in a life-changing adventure. And this is not just true of some little hobbit in the Shire, it is also true of us, Christians, who are living our lives following Jesus. You see, as we look at our passage this morning in the book of Acts, we see a very similar lesson being learned by Paul and his companions, and hopefully by us, that unless we are willing to give up good things in our lives, we will actually hinder ourselves from following the Holy Spirit and fully participating in what Jesus wants to do among us as his people. And so as we go through these series of stories that we just read, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul and his companions on what we might describe as Paul's second missionary journey. And throughout these stories, we're going to see them live out what it means to give up good things in order to follow the Spirit of God. But before we dive into this passage this morning, would we take a moment, thank God for being with us, and ask him to help us as we go to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for preserving it down to this very day and bringing it to us this morning. Father, in the midst of all the challenges that are going on in our lives, it can at times be difficult to see where you are at work. I pray that by your spirit, you would be helping us to understand your word this morning showing us what you might be calling us to give up in order to follow after you and to see what you are doing among us. Work in our hearts to trust you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in this first story, as we look at chapter 15, we see that the Apostle Paul is learning that first and foremost, in order to follow the Spirit of God, we must at times be willing to give up our relationships. I want you to notice if you go to chapter 15 here, it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then it says, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. You see, having 
just delivered this wonderful news from the Jerusalem Council to the Church of Antioch, which is what they did right before this passage. Paul and Barnabas are seeking to continue their work together, to work among the churches and continue to strengthen them. What they're doing is they're going to all the churches that they helped plant and bringing this message of the Jerusalem Council. But unlike their first missionary journey, we actually, instead of seeing unity here, we see deep disagreement. And this disagreement is where Paul and Barnabas learn this lesson of how important it is to be able to give up relationships when we are moving in different directions by the Spirit, even if those relationships are meaningful. Paul and Barnabas's relationship was truly meaningful. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll know in, in Acts chapter 4, we read that Barnabas was among some of the first believers in Jerusalem and that he had dedicated his life to strengthening and establishing the church in whatever way he could. And in Paul's life, he's particularly important because in Acts chapter 11, we read that not only was Barnabas the first person in Jerusalem to believe Paul's testimony, that he had been converted on the road to Damascus, but Barnabas even goes a step further and aligned himself with Paul in Acts chapter 11 and invited him to help him in the city of Antioch. And so, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit, moving among that church in Antioch, says, I have set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So, Paul and Barnabas' relationship was truly significant in both of their lives. And yet, in this passage, we see that their relationship with one another, that partnership, does not trump their desire to follow the Holy Spirit. Their relationship, no relationship was more meaningful to Paul or to Barnabas than their relationship with Christ. Then in this moment, as they're disagreeing and needing to separate in their partnership, they're experiencing what Jesus taught in Luke 14. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. This is what Paul and Barnabas are learning in this passage because they're not separating necessarily for selfish or for sinful reasons. They're simply separating because where God is leading them is misaligned. I want you guys to see this if you look back in the passage. In verses 37 and 38, we see that the reason for their disagreement is this guy that's called John Mark. Now, John Mark had journeyed with Paul and with Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but as Paul points out, he had abandoned them prematurely. Now, scholars believe that Barnabas was most likely John Mark's cousin, and it's very likely he wanted to give John Mark a second chance to join them on this second missionary journey, and Paul thought that to do that was incredibly unwise and would be a detriment to their actual work in the ministry. And it says that this disagreement between Barnabas was so sharp that, again, they concluded that they needed to separate. And we can look at this disagreement and this separation, and we can go, oh my goodness, Clearly, God is not in this separation. But I would argue if you look at this passage, there's a couple of things that help us see that God is actually at work in the midst of this hard separation. The first thing I want to point out to you is in verses 40 and 41, 
It says that Paul was commended by the brothers in his desire to strengthen the churches in uh, Syria and uh, Cilicia. That there was this sense in which the brothers in Antioch and in Jerusalem still saw God at work in the life of Paul and commended him to continue that work of sending the Jerusalem council's decisions to those churches. What about Barnabas, right? We, we might be able to argue from the book of Acts, of course, of course God was with Paul, but what about Barnabas, as Barnabas went his own way with John Mark? Well, I think it's really important for us to remember, or maybe to know for the first time, what ended up happening in the life of John Mark. You see, most scholars believe that the gospel of Mark was written by this man, John Mark, that many years after Barnabas had passionately pursued a, ch- a second chance for this guy, there was a ton of evidence to prove that Mark's gospel was the primary source used for both Matthew's gospel and for Luke's gospel. It may be important to think that Barnabas's willingness to give up his relationship with Paul and to be able to partner with John Mark, that that was a catalyst in the life of John Mark, which brought about his writing ministry. And as the Holy Spirit carried him along to write his gospel, arguably there's been more impact by the life of John Mark and his writings than perhaps the Apostle Paul, though that's arguably, you know, somewhere we split hairs. Clearly, we see God at work in the life of John Mark. We see God at work in the life of Barnabas. We see God at work in the life of Paul. But none of those men took their desire for their relationship and let it trump their need to give up that relationship in order to follow where God was leading. Now, what's wonderful about this is that we don't just see this happening in Scripture. We also see it happening not just throughout church history, but even in the lives of missionaries today. See, my wife and I have had a wonderful friendship with a woman that we met in Bible college several years ago. And this friend, for her entire Christian life, has felt that God has called her to international missions. And so over the last decade or so, we have had the joy of watching this woman go through the process of preparing for international missions. She attended Bible college with us. She went through the process of getting hooked up with a missions agency. And now we're just so grateful to be able to say that she is living in the country that God has called her to. And there's a moment at the very end of her preparation process that will always stand out to me. You see, at the end of this process where she was getting ready to leave for international missions, a man came into her life that had a romantic interest in her. Now, this woman has wanted to be a wife and wanted to be a mother also for most of her life. And as this man came to her and said, I'm romantically interested in you, in, in you, she started feeling conflicted. She had done all this preparation, feeling called to international missions for most of her life. And all of a sudden, this opportunity to be in a relationship is presented, and she feels conflicted. And she asks this man, how do you feel about the fact that I feel called to go to this country for the rest of my life? And that man's answer is, I don't, I don't feel called to that. I am honored to know this woman because she knew God's call on her life and she was willing to give up this good relationship, something that she had longed for in order to follow through on where God was calling her to go. You see, her faith in where the Spirit was leading her was what convicted her 
what motivated her to prioritize where God was leading instead of her relationships. The same thing is true of all of us, not just those who are called to the mission field. If we're going to follow the Holy Spirit, we need to be willing to give up even our most meaningful relationships if they are misaligned with where God's will is leading us. Perhaps you are being called to give up some of your own relationships so that you can pursue international missions. Or maybe it's simply that you need to be willing to give up regular church relationships so that you can follow the Holy Spirit and invest in different relationships who are new to our church. Or perhaps you need to give up a relationship that you know is misaligned with God's will for your life and that relationship is pulling you away from Christ. I don't know how the Spirit of God is leading you in your life right now, but I do know that if you are going to follow the Spirit, at times you will be asked to give up even meaningful relationships, especially those that are misaligned, so that you can follow where God is leading. And as this story continues, Paul learns not only this lesson, that in order to follow the Spirit, we need to be willing to give up relationships. We also see Paul seeing that in order to follow the Spirit, we must be willing to give up our, even our rights. I want you to look here in Acts chapter 16. It says, when Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, he met a disciple there named Timothy. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman, and that person was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul, in verse 3, wanted to take Timothy with him on his journey. And before he did that, he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. You see, Paul begins his second missionary journey going into the city of Lystra. And after meeting this young man, he says, I want you to come with me. And in this passage, we learn three things about this man, Timothy. He is half Jewish, he is well known, and that he is not circumcised. Now, Paul feels that it is important for Timothy to join them on their missionary journey to strengthen these churches and to give the message of the Jerusalem Council. The message of the Jerusalem Council was that you do not need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And yet, Paul is preparing Timothy to join him by leading him to be circumcised. What is going on here? See, Timothy is willing to be circumcised, even though Timothy has every right not to be circumcised. Because he is half Jewish, because he is a Gentile, Paul would have agreed with Timothy if Timothy had argued that. That he doesn't have to do this. The Jerusalem Council says it is God's will that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And yet, we see Timothy willing to do that. To give up this right. And I want you to really not miss this. Timothy does not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. But he does need to be circumcised in order to follow the Holy Spirit. That rub, I think, is really difficult, probably for Timothy, probably for Paul, probably for some of us. When should we be willing to give up our rights in order to follow the Holy Spirit? And I think Timothy would say we need to be willing to give up our rights if those rights end up defining us. 
I want you to notice in chapter 1 of of chapter 16, we read that everybody knew that Timothy's mother was a Jew and that his father was a Greek. And that even though Timothy had the right to hold on to this, he would rather be defined by his discipleship to Christ than by this right that he could cling to. In verse 2, it says that Christians spoke well of Timothy's character and that Timothy's decision to remain as he was would have completely been justified, but it would have forever defined his character. And yet Paul is coming to Timothy and he is saying, Timothy, there is another way to think about your identity. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have, been, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may, might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Again, it is crucial for us to understand why Timothy made this choice. He did not give up his rights because it meant his salvation or his righteousness. He did it because it was inhibiting his witness for Christ. We too need to learn that we need to give up our rights if they are inhibiting us from actually testifying to Christ well. You see, being uncircumcised as a Jewish Christian would have been something that many found difficult to understand. And we sense in Paul and Timothy's decision that if they didn't surrender these rights, that it would have hindered their work of delivering that message, the wonderful message of the Jerusalem Council. And likewise, we need to be able to follow the Spirit when we think about our own rights that we can cling to. A a really contemporary example of this, I think, is the ministry of Billy Graham. Some of you might know that Billy Graham was described as the pastor to presidents, that he served uh, as personal audience to 12 consecutive presidents, from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. And in 1968, after the Watergate scandal, Billy Graham became far more sensitive to his need to give up his own sense of political freedom in order to be an ambassador for Christ. And here's what he said in an interview. He says, evangelists cannot be closely identified with any particular political party or person. We have to stand in the middle in order to preach to all people, those to the right and those to the left. You see, Billy Graham understood that clinging to his political rights would inhibit his witness to the future of world leaders that he felt that he was called to. This is not just true of Billy Graham. Right? We, too, are called to think carefully about the rights we have as Christians in Christ, as American citizens, the rights that we have. We need to be willing to give up if those rights are inhibiting our witness for Christ. This is particularly important today because politics is everything. The reality is, is that our culture does not believe in God. And so what that means is that politics are ultimate things to people. 
Now, God cares very deeply about political issues and addresses many of them in his word. But as we think through what rights we are clinging to, we need to ask ourselves this crucial question. Are we known more for our political stances or our witness to the gospel? But it's not just our political identities that we need to be willing to give up. Perhaps it's your identity that's being wrapped up in your career, and that identity is inhibiting your witness for Christ. Perhaps your identity is wrapped up in your family or your parenting style, and that is inhibiting your witness for Christ. Whatever the right, whatever the freedom is that is inhibiting you, we need to be willing to give it up in order to serve others and to testify to Christ. Timothy did it. And we see God at work in the life of Timothy, not just here, but you can go to the books of First and Second Timothy, and you can see how God continued to work in and through Timothy for the sake of the gospel. But as these stories continue, we not only see Paul and his companions learning to give up their relationships or learning to give up their rights in order to follow the Holy Spirit, we finally see them in these last two stories, their willingness to give up their plans in order to follow Christ. You see, having completed the work that God had set out for them, they now are turning at the verses 6 through 15 in chapter 16. They want to seek to speak the word of the gospel in other parts of the world, hoping that they'll be able to plant more churches and encourage people along the way. And instead, if we go to this passage of scripture, what we see is Paul and his companions not having a great time about it, but actually really struggling to figure out where they are supposed to go. You see here in verses 6 through 10 that every time they make a plan, it seems that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ, however it's phrased there, is shutting doors in their faces. Paul is learning in this moment that in order to follow the Spirit, we need to give up our own plans even when our mind is made up and our course is set. Again, I want you to notice here in verses 6 and 7 and 8, three different courses are completely abandoned and surrendered to the work of the Spirit. You see, Paul and his companions, they've been traveling all around the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, then Mysia and then Troas, And it's important to understand that none of these places are anywhere near one another, especially the last place that comes up because of the work of the Spirit, Macedonia. It's on the exact opposite side of the world from where they are now in the story. And yet Paul is willing to give up the course that he has set in order to inconvenience himself and go a different direction as the Spirit leads. It may be that Paul had Proverbs 16 just welled up in the back of his mind, right? That the heart of a man plans his ways, but it is the Lord who establishes his steps. I'm sure that Paul's companions were looking to him and saying, what's going on, Paul? We've been going from place to place. We have no idea. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you leading us well? And Paul's probably going, I have no idea what's going on. I have all these well-laid plans, and God just keeps shutting doors and showing us that we need to go in a different direction. We too need to be willing to go a different direction, to follow the Spirit, 
even if our plans are set. But not just in the big plans. I want us to look finally here at the conversion of Lydia in verses 11 through 15, where Paul not only sees his big plans getting interrupted, he sees his regular routines needing to be affected as well. If you look in in verses 11 through 15, you see that Paul enters uh, the region of Macedonia, and it says in verse 13 that on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a Uh, to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, if you've spent time in the book of Acts, you may know that Paul had a routine whenever he would come to a new city. And the, the routine went something like this. Paul would go into a city, and the first thing that he would do is he would look for a synagogue. And the reason that Paul would look for a synagogue is that once he found a synagogue, for you know, all intents and purposes, Paul found a group of people who knew about God's word, would be interested in talking about God's word, and he'd be able to kind of share the gospel with people that he is hoping God has prepared to hear about Jesus, the Messiah. He gets to the region of Macedonia, and none of that happens. He doesn't find a synagogue. He doesn't go to a synagogue. He doesn't necessarily even find anybody prepared, as it were, to hear the word of God. And so he's standing there going, all right, guys, I have, I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to get this conversation started, if we're just going to stand on the side of the street and start preaching the gospel, or if God's going to open a way. And it says that they walked out to the riverside where they supposed, they thought that maybe there was a place of prayer. All these routines are getting interrupted. All of these normal ways of life are being completely challenged in Paul's mind. And yet, it's here when Paul is willing to follow the Holy Spirit into Macedonia, to have his routines and his big plans interrupted, that the Lord brings him to Lydia, that the Lord opens up the ears of Lydia to hear the gospel And we see here that as Paul is willing to give up his regular routines and his plans, that Lydia comes to faith. Scholars see Lydia as the first Christian in Europe, which means that you and I, by and large, are the spiritual ancestors of this story. That because Paul was willing to give up his plans and his routines, we have been blessed because of what God had done in the life of of Lydia. Perhaps Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it the best. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be consistently crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions on our time. We may pass them by, occupied with our more important tasks, thinking that we are actually doing God a service in the work that we are doing. But it is in those moments that we are actually disdaining God's crooked and yet straight paths. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor and theologian from Germany at the time of World War II, he knew a thing or two about having his big plans and his regular routines interrupted for the sake of the gospel. You see, because Bonhoeffer's influence and his brilliance, he was given a chance to seek asylum in the United States. And so he took it. But when he got here, he writes in letters about how he feels this burden from the Lord to go back to Germany, 
Now, it's important to understand that a lot of people knew the influence of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and that if Dietrich Bonhoeffer went back to Germany, he was essentially saying, I'm letting myself be led to execution. His plans, his routines, all interrupted. When he got back to Germany, the things he set out to do to continue to establish the church and to continue to train uh, pastors through his underground seminary, all that was interrupted because he was immediately arrested and he was sent to a concentration camp and he was martyred. In letters from the prisoners that saw Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his final hours, they testified to the fact that even in that interrupted routine and interrupted plans, God was at work in and through Bonhoeffer to encourage the saints to lead guards to faith. It's incredible to see what God did through Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If Bonhoeffer was here today, he would be looking at all of us and he would say, it was absolutely worth it. It was worth giving up my big plans. It was worth giving up my routines and that you too should follow his lead. And it's not just the important aspects of our lives. It's those little tiny parts of our lives that we need to be willing to give up. Those parts of our lives that are nice, idyllic, planned, comfortable, that we need to be willing to give up. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, it's in those places when God is interrupting those places that he is at work. You see, ultimately in this passage in Acts, these stories that we see in the life of Paul and his companions, what we see is that to follow the Holy Spirit, to truly participate in what God is doing among us, we need to be willing to give up good things. We need to be willing to give up good relationships. We need to be willing to give up good rights that we have. And we need to be willing to give up even good plans. And the reason for this primarily isn't because of Paul. It isn't because of Timothy. It isn't because of Billy Graham or my wife and I's missionary friend or even Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The reason that God calls us to give up good things in our lives is because this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, this was Paul's deepest conviction. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes this, Have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus gave up his relationship with the Father so that we might be reconciled to the Father. He gave up his glorious rights as the Son of God so that we might receive the benefits of salvation, the freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus gave up his plans to the will of the Father so that we might be saved. It is truly because of Christ's obedience, by what the passage says, his death on the cross, that we have any good thing. And it is this picture of the surrendered life 
that truly defines the character of Jesus, the same character that the Holy Spirit desires to shape in us through the process of sanctification. And so may it be, as we read this story in Acts, as we think about how God is at work among us, the relationships that might be misaligned, the rights that are inhibiting our witness to Christ, or our plans that honestly are so good, but not where God is leading you. May we too be willing to give up these good things in our lives so that we can follow the Spirit, so that we as Grace Church can truly participate in what Jesus is doing among us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done to reconcile us to the Father, all that you gave up on our behalf. Increase our vision of what you have accomplished for us in the cross. Move in our hearts, Holy Spirit, well up in us a desire to follow you out of love and joy and gratitude for all that you have given up for us. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts to help us see where you are are at work in our lives and where you are leading us, especially where you are leading us to give up good things. Help us to see you at work. Help us to see you uh, making us more like Christ so that we will continue to have the courage and the strength that we need to follow you on this pilgrimage. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us and for always seeking our good even when we need to give up good things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.